Well, good morning, Living Waters. So pleased to be with you this morning. Thanks for being here. You know, um, it's interesting. We have to modify the way we do things. And uh, we're certainly thankful for the technology, and we're certainly thankful for all the people that have, uh, that have um, um, extended their time and uh, their experience and their know-how to make all this possible. So we're certainly thankful that we have the technology to do this. And we're certainly thankful that you're here with us this morning. This morning we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. As you know, we've been in, the, in a sermon series called The Greatest. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. So follow along with me as I read. And it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let's pray. God, thanks for the morning. Thanks, God, for the technology that allows us to do these things, God. And yet we, we remember together, God, that you are not constrained by the kinds of things that we're constrained by. You're always good. You're always there. God, you care about us. And so, God, we ask that, uh, that your word would speak to us this morning And help us to understand, God, what you want us to take away from that. Practical things for our life, God. We are in this time. We have great needs. And so, God, we're confident that you're going to speak to us in wise ways this morning. And we turn our time over to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, favorites, I'd say we all have them. You have your favorites? You have your favorite team. You probably have your favorite players. You probably have the favorite season of year. Maybe it's your favorite food, your favorite kind of car, your favorite model of car. This time you probably even have your favorite toilet paper. Seems like that's the rage now with the coronavirus. We hoard toilet paper. Are you hoarding toilet paper? Many people are. You probably have your favorite author. You probably have your favorite book. You probably have your favorite movie. You probably even have your favorite person. Probably have favorite people. Tell you a quick story. Um, Son Felix has found our Echo Dot. Yes, the Biddles have an Echo Dot. And for some reason, I can't really explain it, he is on a scary Halloween music kick. I don't know why. But, and, uh, He shyly says in his little four-year-old voice, Hey, Alexa, play scary Halloween music. And it's been playing some kind of lame music, and I I finally just got fed up. I was just finally tired of it. So I stepped in and I said, Alexa, stop. Alexa, play Thriller by Michael Jackson. Now, some of you remember... Maybe when Thriller came out, it's 1982, maybe some of you don't remember, but I remember 
when Thriller came out, and I remember people wearing white gloves like Michael Jackson. If you can moonwalk, thank Michael. Michael Jackson, superstar status because of his music, his dance, and his white glove. And according to Wikipedia, Thriller is still the world's most popular selling album. Seems to have sold somewhere, estimations are between 600 and 100 million copies. Say that's a lot. And here's the point. It's our tendency, it's our problem, that we take people and things and we elevate them to a status and a place that they just shouldn't occupy. And look, the elevation of temporary things can only offer temporary hope. This morning, I want us to see that Jesus is the greatest. He has the rightful place at the top of our lives. He has the the highest elevation, and he deserves the biggest praise. Jesus is greater. And amidst all the swirling controversy, all the uncertainty in this world, he is the one that provides real hope, the real hope that we need in our life. So this morning, I want to show you two truths about Jesus from Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, and help you see that he's the greatest. And then I want to help you see two corresponding responses that we should have to those truths. Now, truth number one, verse 14, Jesus, the high priest. Well, you can read about the establishment of Old Testament priests in Exodus 28. You can read about them in Numbers 18.7. And you can see the Old Testament priests had, had duties. They had responsibilities that they needed to bring those duties was that the high priest needed to offer a sin offering, not only for the sins of the whole congregation, but also for himself. And so on the Day of Atonement, the priest would enter the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. And when he would go past that veil, the veil that separates the two rooms of the temple, and he would stand before God in that special place where God's presence was. And there he would take the blood sacrifice that was to be sacrificed and given for himself and God's people. It was an atoning sacrifice. It was meant to cover their sin before a holy God. And that word atoning essentially means to repay. It means to repay for an offense or an injury. And it was meant to be applied to the sins of himself and people. In other words, to pay for the sins, to cover the sins that were committed against God in that year. And he would sprinkle the blood on the altar of God for people's sins. And then that next year, the same time, that high priest would go through the same ritual again. And then the following year again, year after year, the same ritual, the same routine to pay for their sin. 
And we have to get this point. Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. That's the whole point. Jesus doesn't sprinkle the blood of animals on the altar as priests did. He's the very sacrifice for our sin and our rebellion. He's the very sacrifice. Jesus, the perfect Lamb of God, became for us the supreme and perfect sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And in John 1.29, John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. And Jesus is greatest because he didn't offer sacrifice of animals that simply cover sin. He is the once for all sacrifice for sin. Jesus shed his own blood and becomes the ultimate atoning sacrifice for you and for me. Jesus is exactly what John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And Isaiah 53.5 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Our gross behavior, our gross sin, was placed upon him and was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. You see, we can't be saved by an earthly, lesser, sinful priest. The Old Testament priests were sinners like you and like me. An earthly priest needs sacrifices for his own sin. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. He is the perfect high priest who offers himself as the sacrifice for sinners. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him who, uh, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become of God in him. And while the Old Testament priest stood as a mediator, like a go-between God and his people, he could only offer sacrifices outside of himself for the sins of himself and others. He was limited in his ability to do for people. And so Jesus is the greatest mediator, the greatest go between God and his people, forever bridging the gap between God and man, sacrificing himself. But God demonstrates his own, his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you and me. The perfect atoning sacrifice. And 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also died for the sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. He's the perfect go-between, the perfect mediator. So if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.9. And look, Jesus passed through the heavens. Jesus just doesn't go behind the veil like an Old Testament priest. That veil, that veil is the curtain that separates one room from another, the outer sanctuary from the inner sanctuary of the tabernacle, of the, of the temple. He's greater 
In fact, he didn't just pass behind the veil one time. He ascended into the very presence of God. The Old Testament priests, you know, they could only go into the Holy of Holies, into that special place one time of year. And it's important to remember that Jesus right now, right now, is sitting at the right hand of God. And he's sitting because like an Old Testament priest who are constantly working, Jesus is sitting because his work is finished. His sacrifice was complete and total. And he's there interceding for you, believer. Romans 8.34 says, Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. And this is an important point. Jesus didn't go to heaven because he needed a break. He doesn't need a break from you and me. He isn't tired. He's not worn out from worrying about the coronavirus. He's not worn out by your needs. He's not worn out by the challenges of life. He's not there to recharge his spiritual batteries. Jesus is in heaven actively caring for you. He cares for you. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He says, it is to me a very wonderful fact that in his glory he should still be pleading for sinners. O Lord, is not thus forgetful of the degraded clients who causes he espoused in the days of his humiliation. How can we hear without amazement that the King of kings and Lord of lords occupies himself with caring for transgressors? Caring indeed for you and for me. And Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore he was always able to save those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. Believer, Jesus is right now pleading for you to the Father on your behalf that your transgressions aren't held against you. And the good believer is that because Jesus is perfect and his sacks are sin debts paid in full, Therefore, God always sees his children in the perfect righteousness of his son. What a tremendous truth. What encouragement. We need that encouragement. The times we live in, the circumstances that we encounter, we need that encouragement. Truth number two. Jesus knows your problems. Jesus knows your problems. We find it in verses 14 and 15. You know what we want most? What we really want to know is that people realize what we're going through. Isn't that true for you? Don't you wish that someone knew about you? Isn't that what's most important, that we know and realize that somebody knows our need? We want someone to know. We want someone to care. We want to glorify God with our counseling ministry, and we want to love people well. We want to let people know that we care. 
what happens to them. That's, what, that's why we're a church in this community. We love our community. We care about our community. I saw uh, an interview recently with, with a patient that had been dealing with the coronavirus, and I was fascinated on two levels. Um, the first level was that they asked so many frank questions, and the second level is I was interested because I, I watched that interview in amazement because I wanted to know what they were going through, and that's what we really want. We want someone to know what we're going through. We want someone that cares. And here's how I'd encourage you this morning, church. Jesus knows, and Jesus cares. Matter of fact, nobody knows like Jesus. First Peter 5, 6 and 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time... He may exalt you and casting all your cares, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. Now, there's a difference. There's a difference between empathy and sympathy. Empathy is really the ability of a person to understand, to intellectually understand the feelings of another person. Ah, but sympathy. Sympathy is the shared feeling you feel, usually surrounding sorrow and some kind of compassion that you feel for another person that's going through it. Sympathy is the deep concern you feel for somebody when you see them going through something. Look, Jesus knows and feels for you. He knows he's the great sympathizer. He's the most concerned person for you. I love what Paul Tripp says in his book, Suffering. He says this, in one way or another, at one time or another, discouragement is the experience of every sufferer. It's one of the burdens added to the burden of what's already being suffered. Beneath the suffering of physical sickness, loss, betrayal, or whatever other dark thing has entered the door is something way more powerful and dangerous. It is the spiritual war that rages in the heart of every sufferer. Excuse you this morning. Where's your weakness? Where's your weakness? Where's your suffering? What are you suffering with today? I want you to know, Jesus wants you to know that he cares about your weaknesses. He cares about your suffering like nobody else can. Is it fear? Is it depression? Is it anxiety? Is it a mind that can't reason, can't understand? Maybe it's a physical problem. Maybe it's financial issues. Is it a hurt 
Is it a hurt and a heart of anguish over losing someone that you love? Is it the fear of being able to control all your circumstances? Those are common. Look, Jesus knows. Jesus knows better. Years ago, tell a quick story. I, uh, when I worked for the Department of Corrections, I was on the, like the riot squad, and we used to have to do this training. One of the training segments that we did was that we would fire these gas grenades, and we had like a steel entry door with a really narrow window, and a guy picked up this gun and fired a gas grenade through the window of this door. Amazing shot. It's like the best shot ever if you're really into firing gas grenades. And it goes through this window, right? And we're high-fiving one another because it's like, that was a great shot. And all of a sudden, somebody said, do you smell, do you smell smoke? Well, what we, didn't, what we didn't remember was that there was a grass field behind that door. And those gas grenades burn really, really hot. And all of a sudden, when we ran up to it, this grass field had started to catch fire. And beyond the fence was a huge field of field corn because it was late fall. And I am not kidding. And I know it doesn't look like I could run fast, but there was a day. I took my coat off, and as fast as I could run to beat out that fire, and all of a sudden, I remember feeling this gush of hot air. And I watched that fire accelerate past what I was able to run. And I think we burnt probably about 80 acres of corn. I don't know. We burned quite a bit of corn. We were in a little, a little bit of trouble <laughs> over that. Look, here's what I want to tell you. I don't know what you're dealing with this morning. Is it fear? Is it fear of the unknown? The circumstances of our life can be like that wind. Can be like that wind in that grass fire and cause our fears to accelerate and then we feel like we're overrun. And so it seems like a perfect place to talk about the world we live in right now. Talk about coronavirus. Our lives right now are consumed with the immediate need to deal with the information that seems to change every 15 minutes. And it changes so rapidly. And it accelerates our fear. You could have stock market woes and money worries and social fears and anxieties. We have people keeping safe distances, safe social distances. We have cancellations. We have shutdowns. We have worries and quarantines. Listen, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. And he cares and he sympathizes with us in all those things. Illness, you want to talk about illness? Jesus was acquainted with illness. Read Matthew 8. Jesus heals a leper. 
And a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if, you, if you're willing, you could make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand, and he touched him, and he said, I will be clean. You want to talk about sin? Jesus didn't avoid that either. He lived in this world. He knows all about sin. He knows all about you, and he knows all about me. He knows all about the conditions of our life and the conditions of this world. And Jesus sympathizes with our weaknesses. He knows he was tempted as we are, but you know what makes him greater? The greatest. He was without sin. He was without sin. You know what really helps us? really helps us to know that there's someone in the trenches. That's what we want. Who's been through it? That's why I watched that interview. I want to know someone that's been there. Someone who knows the ropes. Someone who understands and cares. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. So how should we respond? How should we respond? Well, I'd say the first response is, Exactly what verse 14 says. Hold fast to your confession. What does it mean to hold fast to your confession? Believer, hold firmly to your faith. Trust Jesus in times of trouble. What shakes you this morning? What's rocking your world? Coronavirus? Worries? Trouble? Uncertainty? What obstacles do you have in your life that cause you to doubt God's ability to do what he's going to do? Can I just give you some help this morning? Put off your fear and put on trust. Put off your fear and put on trust. Put off fear and remember God's word, which is good and right and perfect and helpful. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The steadfast love of our Lord never ceases. His mercies never, ever come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Repeat it to yourself. When you're in the car, when you go to sleep, when you wake up, write it on a card, put it on your refrigerator, stick it to your computer at work. Make it a part of how you counsel yourself and deal with yourself in the problems of your life. Our problem is that our confidence has a tendency to rise and fall with the events and circumstances of this life, and we get overrun, just like that grass fire, by the events in our life. And remind yourself, counsel yourself with the truth of the Bible, and take heart. Your great Savior, your perfect sacrifice is in heaven interceding for you. I love what Jim Berg says in his book, um, God is More Than Enough. He says this, God's faithfulness is a subset of a larger attribute of God. This is the basis for the statement that God is always good, always. Political climates and moods and weather, and stock markets, and churches, and relationships, and health, and fashions, they all change. But God never does. 
So hold fast to your faith. He's always faithful. And response number two from verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. There's nothing more encouraging to hear these words. You can come by any time. I'm here for you. This last week, we had the privilege of starting a project at our house. We have a massive, huge tree back behind our house. Its branch on one side extends 35 feet over into my neighbor's yard, over his shed, over the fence, and near his pool. And I've never met that neighbor before. I had to go down a street, down another street, up a street, and into a cul-de-sac to even get there. And I've been keeping him up to speed of what we're doing, and he's very thankful for it, obviously. And at the end of our visit, he said something that really impacted me. He doesn't know me from Adam. First time he's ever met me. He said, you feel free to come by and talk anytime. Naturally, I invited him to church. I want him to come. I like him. And I left there thinking, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. My neighbor's on my side. Look, there's nothing more reassuring, nothing more hopeful than hearing, you come by any time. You're welcome here. And so, believer, I just say, this is an open invitation. An open invitation for you to come with confidence and to come boldly, openly, talking plainly about everything, all your fears, all your worries. Come to God's throne openly and honestly and in an unbarrassed and unrestrained way with a heart looking to receive what only he can give. James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Come to Jesus looking to receive the grace and the mercy and the comfort that only the greatest can provide. And when you come directly to the throne of grace, you come because of what Jesus did on the cross in his resurrection. Jesus' sacrifice and resurrection tore that veil in two, opening the outer room to the inner room where God's presence is and making direct access available. Believer, his grace, his mercy, his love, his, his words of comfort from his word. Come to me when you need me. Come to me. And I'm listening. They have a tendency to lift us up and help us in a time of need, a time of trouble, a time of fear, so that we don't get overrun. I love what David says in Psalm 40. He says, he inclined unto me and heard my cry. And he wants to hear from you this morning. 
So, believer, we have a great high priest. One who sympathizes with us and encourages us to come to the throne of grace whenever we can. When we need to. He knows us in our trouble, and he's ready to meet you there. With the only kind of help that he can give, because he's the greatest. And we need help in times of trouble. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, he wants to save you this morning. And he wants to lavish on you his grace and his mercy and his love. And you know, that changes everything about how you handle trouble in your life. Jesus loves you. He wants to save you. And when you admit that you're a sinner and turn from your sin and believe in Jesus, he saves you. That's what Acts 16.31 says. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. I'm thankful to talk to you this morning, church. Let's take heart. God is at work. He's our great sacrifice. He's the greatest. He knows what we need. We can trust him. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the morning. God, thanks for your word, which is clear and hopeful and helpful. God, we have needs. We have fears. We have ideas that we can't control. We don't know all the information, but we're certainly thankful, God, that you do and that you encourage us to come to your throne of grace, God, and receive mercy and grace that lifts us up, lifts us up, and helps us not to get trapped in the fires of fear that can overrun us, God. We're so thankful for you, God. Thanks for working in our life. Thanks for the the opportunity to share these words, God, with our church. Work as only you can, God, and we give you thanks and praise for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.